Good morning, church family. Would you stand together with us? Let's sing this out. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We welcome our King, the Holy One. Lift up a shout, rejoice and sing. Our glorious Savior, Christ. Let's sing that together again. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We welcome our King, the Holy One. Of the shout, rejoice and sing, our glorious
welcome those around you. Say Merry Christmas. Welcome to worship today. We do want to say a special welcome to you here uh, at Cypress Bible Church. Thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, we want you to make us know, to make, uh, make known of that. And so let us know. Uh, I think there's some things you can fill out there uh, where you're sitting, but we are so grateful that you're here. I want to tell you about two things, uh, church family, to, to be aware of. Number one, Christmas time is here. Okay, like Christmas Eve services are happening in two weeks. There's two services that Cypress is going to do at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. here in this room. So you want to make sure, and not only you come, but this is such an opportunity to invite people. Uh, if there's ever, ever a service, it's this service a lot of times, or Easter, right, that you can say, hey, would you come with me to church? And people are more open to it than most times of the year. And so take advantage of this opportunity to say, hey, you know what? We've got a special Christmas Eve service at my church. I want you to come and be a part of that. And uh, we do have some things prepared that I think uh, will be a fun little surprise, even for you and maybe for some of the kiddos in, in too. So invite the whole family. So we want parents, grandparents, kids, the whole thing. It's a family service. Come and be a part of this. It's going to be really, really special. And then also, as, as all of us uh, are aware of, this is Pastor John and Amy's final Sunday with us. We've been so grateful for the ministry and the work that God has used uh, him to do here at this church. But after the service, there's going to be a special time of saying thank you and a special time of reception. And so they'll be uh, in the hallway out here in the back. Uh, if you have uh, wanting to or wanting to write some encouraging letters, last week I told you wrong in this service, you were supposed to bring your own stuff to write on and put it in the baskets. People were looking for that. But today I'm actually, I was told, I believe there are some cards out there in case you didn't find them that you can write a little encouragement to them and turn that in. And then come and be a part of the reception after the 11 o'clock service today and just uh, express your gratitude for what the Lord has done uh, through the Bukimas here at Cyprus. Uh, also, we have been in a season of Advent and today our focus is joy. And so we have a special young man, Sawyer Maine, is going to come up at this time, and he's going to share, yes, hey, welcome Sawyer, yeah, he's going to share our scripture passage and light the candle and pray for us. Sawyer, would you share with us now? Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom and the Lord's favor. Matthew 2, one, Matthew 2, 1, 10, and 11. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, and during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and bowed down and worshipped him. Now Sawyer is going to come and light the joy candle for us.
for us and saved us from our sins. That you were born and rose again. And thank you for all of us and letting all of us come here and all of our church family. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Sawyer one more time for leading us through that? A season of joy. Uh, we talked about even this morning with our team that, you know, joy is not something uh, that can come and go, but joy is, is everlasting because in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. And we have an opportunity as believers to be in the presence of God together. We're about to sing a song. It's one of my favorite Christmas hymns, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I love verse three. It says this, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. And I know later on in this service, we're gonna have a special uh, a time of anointing and prayer that you're gonna get to participate in. But our God is a healer. And Sawyer even said it. He came to proclaim a freedom to the captives, to heal the hurting, the brokenhearted, those who are in need. And you might be hurting right now. You know, Christmas, the holidays, being together can sometimes bring up a lot of hurt and pain and memories. Um, God wants you to know he sees you right where you are. He sees where you're hurting and healing is in his wings. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death to offer a relationship to us through his son, Jesus. And Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the one that we worship. And so as we continue to worship the Lord, I just want to invite you to remember that God is a God who heals and he loves you and sees you right where you are. Would you stand together with us?
One with God, the Lord Most High, hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. You didn't want heaven without us. Jesus, you are on heaven now. My sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus.
above every name, the name that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess is Lord Jesus. Thank you that in this season we can celebrate that you came. You were God with us, Emmanuel. And Lord, we celebrate that. We celebrate the birth, but we know it doesn't stay there. Lord, you lived a perfect, sinless life. You took our sin and became sin, the scripture says, for us and died on a cross. But three days later, you rose again to bring us salvation, to save us from our sin. The ultimate sacrifice was paid through Jesus. Thank you so much for that. And then you left us a gift, a gift in the Holy Spirit, who is always God with us, Emmanuel, walking through each and every detail and step of our journey. Thank you, God, for that precious gift. Lord, we worship you as almighty king. Thank you for showing us that an almighty king could come as a humble baby and live a life that we could emulate. Lord, we love you. This is all for you. And we want to be all about you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. about who we are becoming in Christ. The first week was becoming renewed, and uh, last week was becoming righteous. And this morning, as we look at a classic passage of Scripture each of these weeks, we're talking about becoming certain, becoming certain. Aaron Rodgers, I think, is headed to the Football Hall of Fame. As a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, he's won the Super Bowl, Uh, He's a three-time MVP and considered one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Uh, Aaron was raised in a Christian household, and uh, yet he began questioning his faith soon after winning the Super Bowl in 2011. And he told ESPN that he no longer identifies with organized religion because, he said, quote, it can shut you out from being open to the world, to people and energy and love and acceptance. Well, Rogers is hardly alone. I personally know many who grew up proclaiming Christ, declaring Christ, and now declare themselves to be atheists. And I know young people, middle-aged people, elderly people, of whom that's true. People who have expressed faith that now say they no longer believe. And we live in a a world of of danger and doubt and uncertainty. And and all this may cause you to question your faith or wonder if you're actually saved or doubt if what you believe is real. And you may be in that very situation this morning. And certainly the pressures in our world can cause you to think that way. Well, 1 John was written to address that very issue. When John the Apostle wrote this uh, little letter in the New Testament, the resurrection of Jesus was already 50 years in the past. And only a few of the eyewitnesses who'd actually been with Jesus were still alive. At this point in time when John writes, the, the followers of Jesus were being persecuted by the government. They had false teachers that infiltrated the church. Some people denied that 
Jesus was God's son. Others said that Jesus didn't actually have a physical body. And some in the church were, were proudly proclaiming that they had no sin at all. And because of the turmoil in the world and the conflict in the church, many believers were confused and they doubted their faith. And they wondered, is this good news really true? Can I know for certain? And 2,000 years later, those same doubts can creep into our lives. Maybe even today you're struggling with sin and you wonder, how can I be a real Christian and still do some of those things? And you wonder, is my faith real? Is what I've believed worth founding my life on? Does it even matter anymore in the world in which we live? Well, that's why John wrote this letter, this series, and this sermon about what those of us who are in Christ are becoming, this age of doubt and uncertainty and ambiguity. We can be more certain. And so I want to start out with the very last verse of this passage that we're studying this morning to, to declare where we're going. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That word know is very important. And it appears more often in this chapter than almost any other chapter in the New Testament. The Greek word John uses, and there are uh, a few for the word no, but this one he uses, the Greek word is oida. And it describes the state of knowing rather than the process of knowing. Those are two different things. So let me describe them for you. When I say, I know I live in Texas, that I'm declaring something I know is a fact. That's a state. It's beyond doubt. Uh, that's the status of of where I am. But when I, I say, I, I know what it means to be a Texan, well, that's knowledge I'm still acquiring. I'm in the process of, uh, I'm fixing to grow into that. So one kind of knowing is complete and factual. The other is progressive and experiential. And both of those kinds of knowing uh, are, are true of, of a Christian. But it's this first kind of knowing where you are certain that that's what John talks about here. Uh, in an uncertain world, what is it that I can be certain of? What assurances can God give me that will allow me to survive and even thrive in a world full of doubt and ambiguity? Well, there are three from this passage that I want to point out to you this morning. Three certainties. They are simple, and yet they are profound and essential for your life and my life. Here's the first one. Here's the first certainty. Through Jesus, I have been reborn. Verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So picture with me for a moment Batman and Spider-Man. Those were two of my more favorite superheroes when I was growing up. Uh, so I, 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 for whatever reason, I really liked Spider-Man. I was always going to the store to buy the first. As soon as that next edition of Spider-Man came out, I went and got that. Like Batman, too. But they're very different. Think about it. Uh, Batman is basically a rich guy with lots of cool gadgets. Uh, he doesn't have super strength. He doesn't have x-ray vision. He can't fly. He's just a dude whose powers come from tools and technology and lots of money. He's a guy in a costume. Spider-Man is different. Oh, he's a guy in a costume too, and he, he also has some accessories, but he's a superhero because he has powers obtained when he was bitten by a radioactive spider. 
You say, John, are you crazy? What are you talking about? Here we go. Spider-Man's inner nature has changed. He now has new power within. And when you, when you believe Jesus is the Christ, in a sense, you become more like Spider-Man than Batman. That is that something from outside of you has entered into you and changed your very nature. It's not just some accessories. And out, no, your very nature is changed. You have power that you did not have before. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the new birth. That's regeneration. Instead of becoming more and more like a spider, you're becoming more and more like Jesus. You're now a temple of God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to point out to you the word believes here is in the present tense. That's happening. Anyone who believes in the present But the word born is in the perfect tense. You say, what's the difference? Well, the perfect tense refers to the continuing results of something that happened in the past. See, the the fact that you continue to believe now, if you believe now, is the result and it's the evidence that you were born again in the past. That your present continued belief is the result of your rebirth. And, and your, the rebirth is God's doing. Salvation is God's doing. That, that's, you're born of God. It's his initiative. He regenerates us. Jesus said you must be born again. Simple belief that Jesus is the Christ, the one and only Savior, the eternal Son of God, who became human to be the sacrifice for sin. To trust him is to be reborn. The old life is over. The new life begins. Your new creation. Now, a question you might have, well, what, is it, what does it look like when I'm reborn? Very simple. The next few verses, John gives three characteristics of somebody who's been reborn. Here they are, continuing in verse 1. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So what are those three characteristics? You love God, you love God's people, and you love God's commands. See, if God has birthed you, you will have love for God. A love like an infant has for her mother. It just happens. Remember, God's love comes first. Not that we love God. He loved us first. That's 1 John 4, 19. And the more we understand this love of God that came first, the the more we're then able to love others. You look at other believers and you see Jesus in them. And some of them hide it really, really well. But you see and you love them because the love of God is in you. And added to that is the desire to obey God, that because of his love, you look at his commands in a whole new way. You've experienced his love, so you want to please him, even to the point of loving your enemies, which is one of his commands. And you trust that he knows what is best for you. And through obedience, you demonstrate your love to him. I, I read of a, a man who, who grew up in, in a, an abusive home. He had one parent who was an addict. And, and every time this, this little child made a mess or did something wrong or made noise, this a, a, addicted parent abused this child and then forced them to do chores well beyond their abu- ability to do. Then later, he was adopted into a loving, loving family. 
loved deeply. And in that family, he was given responsibilities, and he was given chores and things to do, and yet he found that he gladly did those things out of love, what he used to hate doing out of fear. And and that's what happens when you know the love of God. Every one of you who has faith in Jesus, the Christ, has been reborn. You are of God, and you have a new identity and a new family, and that's certain, and and you want to please him in that way. You love God, you love his people, and you love to obey him. That's the first assurance. Here's the second assurance. Not only through Jesus I've been reborn, but second, through Jesus I have overcome the world. Wow. Verse 4. I'm not making this up. Here it is. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So three times John uses here in this passage the greek word nike which means victory or overcomes it's more commonly mispronounced as nike and their motto nike's motto is just do it and that's the opposite of what this means here the whole point of this victory is that jesus did it the gospel says you can't do it that Jesus won the victory by his death, burial, and resurrection, and the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you who believe. But what does it mean to have victory over the world? You say, well, what is the world anyway? That's where a lot of Christians that I'm reading, seeing, hearing about today in our world that trouble me greatly are misidentifying the world and its system. But if we look at Scripture and see what that is, the world is the human system. It's not a political party. It's not uh, uh, an ethnic group. Uh, it's not a country. The world is the, political, is the human system that ignores or opposes God. It's the view that thinks only of this life and how to satisfy myself apart from God. The world is everything that tries to keep me from becoming more like Jesus. Worldliness, John defined it earlier in his book, worldliness is when I crave what I should not have, when I lust visually, when I brag about my success or stuff. That's worldliness, and everyone can be victim to that. And the truth is, I'll still be tempted even when I belong to Christ. Cravings and desires still happen even as I'm becoming more like Jesus. And so do discouragement and failure. But victory is my reality. Because of Jesus. Overcome, by the way, is in the aorist tense. You say, big deal. Well, that means this is victory that's been achieved once for all. That doesn't mean the conflict is over yet. It means the outcome is settled. That nothing can overcome the believer who is deeply rooted in Christ. You triumph forever. The victory can never be taken from you. Now, I want you to think. Let's just go to an amusement park. Maybe it's a... It's a roller coaster or some other thrill ride, and there's lots of excitement involved. Let's just say there's there's two kids, Sally, Sammy. They're in line for the ride. They're tall enough. They get on by themselves. They're excited, and they get in that car together to, to go off on this thrill ride. And Sarah, did I say Sarah? Is it Sarah? I don't want to get the names confused. Sally. All right, see? Sally, she's thrilled. I mean, she, she can't wait for this ride to start. Yeah, and as it starts to go, she has her hands in the air, her eyes are wide open, and she is thrilled. She's enjoying every second of it. Sammy, no. 
His hands white knuckle on that safety bar. Am I going to make it? Is this ride going to crash? His eyes are tightly closed. They go through this thrill ride. It's a minute long, whatever. Sally is just excited. She's having the time of her life. Sammy's like, I can't wait for this to be over. Is this going to end? I'm going to die. Now, who makes it through the ride? They both do. Well, I've been in some amusement parks. That's a little iffy. But they both make it. Only one of them has joy. See, it's not the intensity of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith. And so some of you are so certain in Christ today. And there are others of you that's like, are we going to make it? I don't know. I know I believe, but it's just not enough. And and it's a white-knuckle ride for you. But see, it's not the intensity of your faith that saves you. It's the object you overcome by the blood of the Lamb, not by the intensity of your faith. And that's really reassuring, isn't it? Now, before John talks about the third assurance, he, he next confirms who Jesus is. Because how, how can we know for certain that this is real and this is true? Look what John says. We continue on verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree, whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. Now, you're probably, if you've got your Bible open or you've seen this before, there are all kinds of like little additions to this and uh, extra stuff that's been thrown in there because through the years, translators tried to, well, we don't like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. We want to add some things. And so uh, hopefully you've got a Bible that just has that in the notation and that says this is what the original text says. You say, what's going on here? What does this mean? John's talking about two very significant events in the life of Jesus. One, the first one doesn't get much attention at all, and I believe, I've said it many times here, I believe it should be celebrated every year just like Christmas and Easter, and that's the baptism of Jesus, the baptism. Because there, Jesus was publicly identified as the Savior of the world. There, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven like a dove. There, the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. And it marked the start of Jesus' ministry. That's the water. But Jesus didn't just come to be a healer. He didn't just come to be an example. He came to be the Savior, and so it's the water and the blood. This is referring to the crucifixion. His work on the cross was the atoning sacrifice for our sin. His blood poured out for us. On the cross, a spear was thrust into his side, and what came out? Water and blood. The reason... John stresses this is because he was dealing with some of the false teachings in the, in the early church that said, well, Jesus didn't become God until his baptism. And they also said, well, and just before he died, then the God part of Jesus left his body. And it wasn't God who died. But John testified over and over and over here in his epistle and in his gospel that Jesus is the eternal son of God who became flesh, died a bloody death, and was raised to life the third day. And the spirit is here testifying to all this. The spirit who testified at Jesus' baptism is still testifying present tense now, today. And when you are reborn, 
When you are made alive in Christ, the Spirit of God takes up residence in you and reveals God's truth to you and assures you that you belong to Jesus. When you believe, you receive the Spirit as the guarantee that all God's promises are yours. He is the inner witness in your life. And now that brings us to the third assurance. So he's taught us already that through Jesus I have been reborn. Second, through Jesus I have overcome the world. And thirdly, through Jesus I have life. Verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So you can be assured of life and you can be assured you don't have it too. You can be assured you don't have it if you've not put your trust in Jesus. If it's just a a ritual, if it's just religion, if it's just something, well, my mommy's saved. Or I got baptized. No, if you're, you, you can't have eternal life. You can't have any, sure, apart from Jesus. But, but to have Jesus is to have that life. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. To have Jesus is to have life. It's not a system of belief. It's not a philosophy. It's not a religion. It's a person. Jesus in us. And that life is eternal. Eternal. As one scholar says, eternal life here literally means the life of the ages, plural. In other words, a life that's for this age and for the age to come. And the word eternal speaks to both the quality and the quantity of life. It's quality and it's quantity. Eternal life is longer. It goes on forever. But it's also deeper in that it encompasses encompasses the full range of human potential. Eternal life is real life. It's the life that we were created to live. It's the life that deep down we long for. Even those who don't know God at all, there's a longing for this eternity. God put it in their heart. It's only satisfied in Jesus. In fact, the eternal in the original language that uh, John uses in verse 12, it doesn't refer just to life. It's, there's, a, there's an article. It says, the life. Whoever has the Son has the life suggesting that any other kind of life comes up short. This life is found in Jesus. It's not something you find deep down within yourself, even though you were created with the capacity for it. It's not something you find out there in the world, uh, even though this world was designed with that kind of life in mind. Jesus Christ brought this life to us when he came to this earth and lived it for us. He showed us what it means to live life in full, in relationship with God and for the good of others. And the world had never seen life like this as it was meant to be lived until Jesus came and lived it among us. And so logically, the only place to find real life is in the one who actually lived it, Jesus. And when John says, whoever has the Son has life, he he uses a word that literally means to possess, to own. Uh, This is a little nuance that I want to make sure you get. Eternal life is something you have now. You have it now. You can know for sure that this life for the ages is now because of Jesus. Now, why does this matter? Why does any of this matter? Because we live in a constantly changing world full of doubt and uncertainty and ambiguity where evil and injustice surround us. And that evil and injustice surrounds us like vultures on roadkill. Right now, it's surrounding us. So here is what you can know for certain. Here's what you can cling to, and here's why it matters. 
And that's where John ends with these words that we began with, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So you don't have to worry about the future. You don't have to wonder what's going to happen to you in the life to come. That life has already come. Jesus brought it with him at Christmas. And if you are in Christ, you are already living it. You're already living eternal life. Let, let, me, let me sum it up in this sentence. That in Christ, you are already living eternal life. And knowing for certain that you have it, you can face anything this life throws in your path. See, there's the reality. That's why it matters to you and me right now. You say, already living eternal life? I mean, is this heaven? I thought it was Texas. It is not the same thing, no. It is not heaven. But even if it were hellish, you have Christ who is your life. And that life is certain. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3.3. That's your reality right now. And mine. See, eternal life isn't just waiting for you in the future. And when you know for certain that you have present tense eternal life, then you can deal with whatever it is that's going on. A few years ago, the Coast Guard picked up a a guy in a homemade boat, okay, in the waters off of Juneau, Alaska. He's in the sea in a boat he made, which is not yet the worst part. He has with him there in the sea off Alaska his dog, his paddle, no life jacket in this craft he made completely out of duct tape. And to no one's surprise, the Coast Guard had to rescue him because it was filling with water. They did not release his name publicly to save him from embarrassment. And I think of that story and realize that nothing you have made yourself will survive the sea of life. Nothing. No amount of human effort, no engineering, no ingenuity will give you assurance. Certainty is bound in Jesus alone. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Believe him and you will never be lost. I can't give you that assurance. That's not my job. Assurance comes from knowing who? The object of Jesus. Brian Wilkerson, an acquaintance of mine, shared what happened to Sung Kyung. She was born into the atheistic dictatorship of North Korea. And when she was just six years old, her family fled from that dictatorship into mainland China. They had some relatives there, and those relatives took them to a little house church. And there, as they heard the good news of Jesus, Sung Kyung's parents became Christians. And her father grew in faith and became passionate about the gospel of Jesus, and he decided of his own free will to return to North Korea and share that good news with those living in that terrible place. Well, he was quickly thrown into prison. And while he was there in prison with no word from able to get to him, to his family and back, his wife died. 
Sung Kyung's mother died, and now this six-year-old is left with these relatives that she barely knows. Eventually, her father was released and returned to China. But, but after a period of time, he was so burdened about his relatives and friends who were there without the good news that he decided to go back. And he preached the gospel again, and he was arrested again, but this time he was never heard from again. And so Sung Kyung was in China growing up an orphan, and one night she saw Jesus in a dream. And this moved her, prompted her to begin reading the Bible on her own. And she read the Bible and the Gospels, and eventually she put her trust in Christ. And the last I heard, Brian Wilkerson told me about her, the last I heard, Sung Kyung was studying to be a diplomat. Why? Here's why. So she could go to North Korea in an official capacity. She says, I want to bring the love of God in Christ to North Korea. I'm stunned by that. Sung Kyung knows who God is. She knows who she is. She knows what this world is like. She knows where she's going. And when you have that kind of certainty, you can face anything the world throws at you. And you can take risks that the world would never take. Now, most of us are probably not going to be called to go into a dictatorship and risk our lives for the gospel. I'm being called to a seniors community in Georgetown, Texas. Not that threatening. Unless pickleball turns violent, I don't expect much trouble. But there will be things that I face and things that you face And it's only when you have your certainty founded in the right place that you can survive. Because none of us knows what this future holds. But what we do know for certain is that God has given us eternal life and that this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has the life. And when you know that, you can face We want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond to God. Teams of elders and pastors are prepared to anoint with oil and pray for anyone who desires it today. And so I want to invite those elders and pastors to take their places right now. And as they do, let me explain what we are about to do. See, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord is a ministry that's described for us in the New Testament. It is joined with prayer for healing, and wholeness among God's people. And so we anoint with oil as a symbol of the presence and power of God. And there are many different reasons you might choose to respond today. If you're not sure about your relationship with Jesus, come and ask how you can know you have eternal life. If you're burdened with sin, with guilt, with shame. Come and confess. Come and hear the promise of forgiveness through Jesus. If you're sick in body, mind, spirit, come for spiritual blessing, physical restoration, relational healing through the power of Christ. Not the power of the elders and pastors, not the power of oil, but through the power of Christ. If you today want to worship God, 
Because, frankly, your life is a thrill ride, and you are hanging on white-knuckled with the eyes closed because your certainty is not in the right place. But you want to worship God today in spite of what's going on. Come and give him praise. Let us join you in that praise. Allow us to rejoice with you. So if you come to receive that ministry, you'll be asked if there's anything that you would like to confess that hinders you from receiving the blessing of God. Then you'll be anointed on the forehead and prayed over. First, let me read this scripture. Speaking to the people of God who are suffering or sick, James 5 says this. They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make them well. Anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. We had an anointing station in the back and four here at the front. So anyone who desires this ministry is invited to come and receive prayer for healing and wholeness in Jesus' name. You walk with 
church family. Uh, it's a special time. Obviously, the Lord is continuing to move here. And so we have another special moment. We want this uh, to happen in our service as we uh, have a commissioning for Pastor John. And so what we're going to do is after the service, if you still need prayer, our elders are going to be available to pray with you and to anoint you and continue on in this. It doesn't stop right here. We're just gonna put a a little pause on it. And so let me invite you at this time um, to just sing that chorus one more time as we close this out. Would you sing that with me? And I believe you're my healer. I believe you are all I need. Oh, yes, I do. invite one of our elders, Kevin, to come up and lead us in this uh, time of commissioning. So if you'll turn your attention uh, this way and here in just a moment, we're going to have Pastor uh, John and Amy come up here and join us on uh, this front area. So Kevin. Yes, and while we're wrapping up this time of prayer, we would invite John and Amy to come up. And also, uh, anyone who's an elder uh, on the elder board presently or has been on the elder board and served with John, um, we would invite you to come up as well. Um, My name is Kevin Parker. I'm one of the elders at the church. We want to take a moment to commission John and Amy for their next ministry. And so I'm going to say a few words, and then Mark, my brother Mark Corey, is going to pray for John and Amy as we send them on their way. John arrived here in, sorry, (laughs) John arrived here in March of 2014, uh, actually in January of 2014, but one of the first sermons he preached was in March, and it was a series called The Church on Course. And I think that has described Cypress Bible Church under John's leadership. He came, he led us out of a uh, difficult and long pastor transition process. He um, led us through a time of leadership, um, um, reconciliation, and mercy. And then we were beset by a series of natural disasters here in Houston, starting with Hurricane Harvey, 
which displaced many of you and flooded our church. That was followed by a pandemic, which changed the essentials of how we do church in every way. And then that was followed by, in 2021 by a freeze. And, and through it all, John has led us. He's kept us on course. And he's done that by standing on this stage and preaching the gospel every week and lifting up the name of Jesus every week. When he came here in January of 20 or 2014, he said, I'm going to lift up the name of Jesus every week. And he's done it. And, and he's done it by preaching and exemplifying reconciliation and love. And he has relentlessly prayed for us. So thank you, John. As an elder board, we have grown to love and appreciate and so when John told us earlier this year that he felt God was calling him to another church, we, were, we weren't ready. We were surprised. And of course, we were sad. But we came along John and Amy. We came alongside them to ascertain what God's will was. And as we prayed through this with them, we determined with them that this was God's plan for John and Amy and that it was his plan for Cypress Bible Church. And realizing that this was God's plan, we didn't want to just be spectators. We wanted to be participants. We didn't want to just tell John and Amy goodbye. We want to send you off with our love and our blessing. We want to commission John to preach the gospel of Jesus there as he is here. We want to commission him to lift up the name of Christ there as he has here. We want to commission him to lead their church as he has led our church. Thank you, John, for keeping us on course. In a moment, my friend Mark is going to, to say a prayer. Uh, but before uh, he does that, I come literally bearing gifts. First, two gifts. First, a financial gift for John and Amy to use however you want to use. And second, a gift for you, Amy, with hope that you'll remember us fondly in Cyprus. You'll need to give those back to me so I can give those to you again. That's the way it works. Next time we'll be permanent. And so uh, we have our hands laid on John and Amy. I would invite all of you to stand and as Mark prays for John and Amy. Thank you, Kevin. Um, and and I, I encourage you and uh, ask you to pray along with me. And um, if, if you're comfortable, just lift up your hands towards us. Um, because I think as, as all of us, as, as Kevin has said, we've just grown to love Amy and John so much. And um, we, we do want to, to have a celebration today. So as we go before the throne of grace. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we, uh, we praise you as the one true God. And we, uh, you know, there's no, um, there's no accidents in your timing. So I, I thank you for this Sunday of joy in the Advent season um, as we send John and Amy off with joy. And uh, that seems like a, a strange thing, but, but we have found them to be humble and obedient service servants of the Most High God, and we uh, we thank you, Father, for um, 
for creating good works in advance for us to do. And I, I thank you that you have given John and Amy assurance as you have moved them from Toronto and Chicago and Pennsylvania and now from Cyprus. We, uh, we just rejoice with them that they are obedient to your call. And you may not know this, but they, they, it was at great personal cost that they came to Cyprus. They left family and home and grandchildren behind sacrificially to come and serve the living Lord with us. And uh, it sure wasn't because we're so desirable, Father. We, uh, we just know that they're obedient to your call. And so I pray your richest blessings on John and Amy that you would continue to empower and enable them to magnify and exalt the name of the Lord Jesus everywhere they go to Georgetown and beyond, all the days of their life. And I, I pray that, um, that 2 Thessalonians 3, 5 would be, uh, be a comfort to them and a guidepost to them that the, the Lord will guide their hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance, that they would be protected by their knowledge of your love. The Lord Jesus, knowing full well the cost, went to the cross and stayed there until our sin debt was paid in order that we might be delivered from darkness to light. And so as they celebrate the name of Jesus, wherever they go. I pray that your blessings would be upon them, that you would uh, just steadfastly be with them and protect them from the evil one as they will endure opposition because they are loudly proclaiming the name of Jesus. So Father, with joy, we send out John and Amy for the rest of their lives to serve you well. Give them everything that they need because in and of ourselves, we can't do what you've called us to do. But we can, as John said, we can enjoy the ride because you are ours and we are yours. In Christ Jesus' powerful name, we ask these things. Amen. We will be having a reception after the next service uh, in the commons to say goodbye to John and Amy. There will be refreshments, so please come by and do that. Also, if you are in line up here to pray, we are going to resume that in just a moment after the benediction. So, so please let us pray for you. We, I'm sorry we had to interrupt that. But let me close this now for um, this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You're dismissed. Chasing the highlight